So here's an outline of today's message. We will begin by setting the stage for the book of Habakkuk. Then we'll look at the book, which is really laid out as a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk begins by asking God, why don't you stop evil? God replies, you would be amazed at what I'm doing. Habakkuk says, but God, I can't believe your ways. God responds, be patient. The righteous live by faith. As the book ends, Habakkuk, having learned his lessons, responds, I will be patient and rejoice in God. From what we learn, we will consider the question then, how then do we live? And finally, I'll try to pull all our thoughts together in a brief summary. As we begin our study of the book of Habakkuk, let's commit our time to the Lord. Our Father, it is a privilege to be able to open your word again. Uh, something that we just take for granted in America, but when we think about the whole world, we realize it is a privilege. And this morning, we turn to the prophet Habakkuk, your prophet, to learn more about you and your ways. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of us, open our hearts, and help us to learn more truths of you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Slide. Let's set the stage for Habakkuk's world. While the exact date is not known, clues from his book seem to indicate that Habakkuk prophesied to Judah, perhaps in Jerusalem, during the reign of Jehoiakim, about 600 years before Christ. As you recall, the united nation of Israel had three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. The nation then split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Israel's continued wickedness before the Lord ultimately resulted in God's judgment when it was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom of Judah also struggled to stay true to the commands of God. There were many wicked kings. However, there were also some good kings, one being Josiah, who ruled from 640 to 609 BC. That's just shortly before Jehoiakim. Josiah worked hard to eradicate idolatry and restore godly worship. How wicked were they? I mean, they were offering their children as sacrifices, for example and temple worship had largely gone away. Josiah works to restore that. However, the many gains he made quickly slipped away under King Jehoiakim. The king's wicked behavior was followed by the general populace. In short, wickedness abounded and displaced righteousness. Slide. Jeremiah, in the 22nd chapter of his book, makes some observations about Jehoiakim's wickedness. Jehoiakim wasn't righteous. He did not establish justice and take care of the needy. Notice the things the Lord says and what's important. He didn't take care of the needy. Sometimes I think we just ignore that, a truth right there. Jehoiakim put himself first by building an ornate palace instead of looking after the people, and he didn't pay the workers for building it. He did not know God. He shed innocent blood, practiced oppression and violence, and enjoyed dishonest gain. Certainly not a godly scene. Internationally, the Assyrian Empire that captured the northern kingdom of Israel was weakening, and the Babylonian Empire, also known as the Chaldeans, 
under Nabopolassar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar, was winning victory after victory. The Babylonians were ruthless, conquering warriors. And Jeremiah was prophesying that due to Judah's wickedness, Jerusalem would be conquered by Babylon. So there's the setting. Slide. As Habakkuk opens his book, hear the passion and feel his pain. Let me read the opening four verses. I'm reading from the New English Standard Version, beginning in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before them. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. What do we see in these verses? The holy man of God, Habakkuk, sees wickedness everywhere and wonders why God hasn't acted to stop it. It is not that Habakkuk hasn't tried. He has cried out to the Lord many times, but things have not changed. Habakkuk says to God, why do you sit idly by? The prophet implies that because of God's inaction, wickedness just gets worse and worse. The law, that is the Mosaic law, was being ignored by society. And the intended cleansing impact of the law was totally ineffectual. The law was paralyzed. The wicked had corrupted justice and therefore instead of being pure, justice was perverted. Slide. Now look at the Lord's reply. God says, beginning in verse 5, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own, swift to devour, they all come for violence, gather captives like sand. They laugh at every fortress, guilty men whose own might is their God. Mixed thoughts there, isn't it? Habakkuk says to the Lord, you're not stopping violence. The Lord replies, you wouldn't believe what I'm doing. Indeed, if you knew, you would be totally amazed. In fact, one of the things I'm doing is raising up Babylon, an aggressive nation that easily overcomes the defenses of others and is very proud of their accomplishments. Notice the text, whose, whose own might is their God. That's what they worshiped themselves and what they were able to do. In the following seven verses, God on goes on to provide further details about the unstoppable Babylonians. Slide. Several points. First, the Lord isn't surprised by Habakkuk's comments. The omniscient Lord knows exactly what's going on. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In the 24 verses of Psalm 139, we have a detailed explanation of the all-knowing God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. There was no surprises. Second, our sovereign God has a plan and he is actively involved in making that plan a re reality. 
In Isaiah 14, 27, we read, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched forth, and who will turn it back? Isaiah 46, 10 and 11, we read, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Slide. Daniel writes in chapter 4, verse 35, He, that is God, does according to his will. Among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? That's Daniel. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1.1, a little bit different subject, but the same kind of concept, about how believers have been chosen as part of God's plan. He writes, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Does God have a plan? Is there any question? Is he sitting idly by? He is not. He has a plan, and he's working out that plan. Not only are believers chosen, God has an ongoing plan for each Christian. And there is a tremendous encouragement, isn't it? Not saved and left alone. He didn't create a plan and then let the world take over. He's actively involved in that plan. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He continues to work his plan out in each of us as Christians. Third point, for who can know the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? In Romans 11.35, Paul makes the point that finite humans are no place to question the infinite almighty God. Think about it. If you were to throw a pot, could the pot say, hey, I want it to be a vase, not a plate. God is the creator of the universe. He has the right to decide how it will be. He has a plan. Habakkuk wondered if God had it right in not taking immediate action and judging evil. God said he knows exactly what, he is, what is going on, and it is according to his plan. All of us have wondered from time to time about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Yes, me, many times. What is God doing? The color of the dot we find ourselves standing on just isn't very pretty sometimes. You know what I mean? But, you know, I think when we get to heaven, I am sure that we'll marvel at the beautiful tapestry that is God's perfect plan. Then we'll see that the dot which represented that portion of our life fits perfectly into the magnificent overall picture of God's marvelous eternal plan. Slide. Fourth point. All authority comes from God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 13.1, For there is no authority except from God. No authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. If he didn't say it once, he says it again a different way, doesn't he? So if they're there, they had their origin in God. 
Daniel records in chapter 2, verse 21, God removes kings and sets up kings. That's what he does. Fifth, the plans of God may include use of wicked people and nations. In this case, it's Babylon. You may think of other wicked countries and godless. Where's ISIS? Is that part of God's plan? Maybe. Don't know where all, how it all fits together, but it could be. The illustration here of Babylon is God raised the Babel, Babylonians up. Remember what he said? I'm raising them up, and then he goes on to describe their wickedness, right? But he still had a plan for them. That was part of God's plan. In Habakkuk, we see that God raised up Babylon to bring judgment on Judah. In the New Testament, wicked men condemned Jesus to die on the cross. The Roman government caved to the will of the people and implemented the crucifixion. Yet the cross was the way of salvation for those who believe. That's how it fit together. In both cases, Babylon being raised up to judge Judah and sinners putting Jesus on the cross, the wicked served as part of God's plan. Slide. Back to Habakkuk, where the prophet expresses dismay about God's plan to raise up the Babylonians to conquer Judah in judgment. Starting at verse 12, Are you, that is God, not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, Babylon, as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, you who are of pure eyes, then to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? What's, who's the more righteous than he? This is Babylon. Babylon's more wicked than Judah. Judah may have its problems, but Babylon certainly is worse. Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, that is Babylon, brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. He is then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly, mercilessly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Killing nations forever, wouldn't come out this morning. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower, says Habakkuk, and look out to see what he, God, will say to me, and what I will answer, well, how he will answer concerning my complaint. Slide. What is Habakkuk saying? In verse 12, Habakkuk acknowledges that God, acknowledges God, and that the righteous will not be completely wiped out when he says, we will not die. Look at verse 13, which gets to the heart of Habakkuk's concern. The perfect holy God with pure eyes that cannot tolerate wrong is allowing Babylon to swallow up Judah a far less evil country, in Habakkuk's opinion. In other words, Habakkuk thinks that a holy God should have prohibited Babylon from conquering Judah. Habakkuk states in verse 14 that God in allowing Babylon to conquer Judah is, is kind of like the unorganized fish of the sea that move as they please without control of a ruler. You think of how fish dart back and forth. That's the concept. Without 
doesn't appear that they're regulated. God, as a just sovereign ruler of the universe, should prevent Babylon's merciless dragnet that allows them to luxuriously live off the hard-earned resources of other countries. Habakkuk ends by indicating that he will wait and see how the Lord answers. Slide. <clears throat> God's reply to Habakkuk's concern starts in chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me, that is Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. Verse 19, woe to him who says, a wooden thing, an idol, awake. In other words, God says, you can be certain the Babylonians will conquer Judah. When will it happen? At the appointed time. Babylon is living based on the pride of their impressive earthly conquests. But the righteous will live by faith. Then the Lord goes on to condemn Israel with five woes. Their judgment is coming. They won't get away with it. Meanwhile, God has a plan for Babylon. Babylon's a very interesting empire. Only lasted about 80 years. And then was overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire. Why did God raise him up? Well, we know in part he was raised up to take care of Judah, to address an ongoing concern about Judah's rebellion. Slide. Several points. First, what God has determined will happen. Make no mistake about it. And it'll happen at the perfect appointed time, not sooner and not one moment later. That's the right time. Sometimes hard for us to get that time figured out. It was certainly hard for Habakkuk to get that figured out. He's looking around, why aren't you doing something? The Lord's saying, it'll happen when it's time. Each event in God's plan has a precise appointed time. With regard to Christ's death, Romans 5, 6 says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It wasn't today. It wasn't in Abraham's time. The right time was back there about 30 AD. That was the right time. Second, the Lord hates puffed up prideful people like the Babylonians. A worldly puffed up person nation is all about self and reliance on self. That was the story of Babylon. God hates the proud, but remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar as recorded in Daniel chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar said as he looked over Babylon, the capital of the Babylonian Empire, his, the words in the Bible are, 
Is not this great Babylon by which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? That's what he says. And what's God do? Well, God showed him exactly where he stood. He reduced him to the likes of a cow eating grass in the field. He made it clear exactly where he stood in the overall scheme of things. Third, the righteous will live by faith. When Nebuchadnezzar did humble himself about a year later and recognize the true authority of the universe, God restored him as king. All recorded in the book of Daniel, the righteous person denies self and relies on God alone, not self, not accomplishments, not earthly things, in God alone. He has faith in God and patiently rests in the fact that God is in control and is executing history according to his sovereign, perfect plan. The person who lives by faith trusts God, who is in absolute control, is working his plan, who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, and for those who accept Christ's work, eternal life. Slide. Hebrews chapter 11 provides many examples of people who lived in faith. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, and many others. Another great story of living by faith found in Daniel, again, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the story of the three and Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. They were to bow down, they refused to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar said to the three of them, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar thought he was something, didn't he? He did, and he was something from an earthly perspective. But in the face of the universe, the God who created everything, where did he stand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Nebuchadnezzar's going, give me a break, I'm the biggest. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This story exemplifies faith in action. Notice they didn't have to be saved to trust God. They were not going to bow down to the image even if they were not saved. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego entrusted their lives to God's plan. That is faith. Slide. Fourth, meanwhile, though God has raised up Babylon for his purpose, including the capture of, of Judah, his holy character demands that evil will be judged. The five woes point out five areas of wickedness that will be judged. The holy God must judge wickedness to stay consistent with his character. He can't ignore it. Remember another story from Daniel, this time about Nebuchadnezzar's arrogant son, Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar is now passed on, and Belshazzar is charged, and he's holding a big party and gloating over his importance and success. Suddenly, writing appears on the wall. Daniel's called, and Daniel interprets that. And it says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. 
That very night, scripture says, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Medo-Persian king, received the kingdom. Ultimately, all will be judged. Sometimes we can't wait. We want the judgment now. God knows all. It's a thought. Maybe that's all it was and it was wrong. It will be judged. The judgment for unbelievers is the great white throne. The judgment for believers is known as the judgment seat of Christ. And then nations are judged during the judgment of nations. Slide. God says in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a fundamental truth of scripture. It is quoted three times in the New Testament. Each deserves a full sermon. We won't do that this morning. So we only, I'll only provide a very brief summary, but I think it's interesting. And when you think of that and you read it in Paul, you go, hmm, yeah, Paul, yeah. And Paul is really quoting Habakkuk and God as, as, as God said in Habakkuk. In each text, the emphasis is different and the words I've underlined show the emphasis. In Romans chapter one, and you think back of what Romans is all about, it's about the righteous and the unrighteous, right? The emphasis is on the word righteous versus unrighteous. So the righteous or just will live by faith. In Galatians, which emphasizes salvation by faith versus works, the emphasis is on the words by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And in Hebrews, the emphasis is on endurance until Christian reaches heaven. The emphasis is on the words shall live. How shall they live? They'll live by faith. Slide. That's all I can do with that one, but there's a, a, quite a study there if we really were to take that. I think important though, as you read those in the New Testament, remember where that came from. That's the book of Habakkuk. One reason why I chose Habakkuk this morning is there's so much in scripture. All scripture is profitable. And sometimes I think we don't get that. You know, we spend a lot of time here and there. I'm not suggesting any one part is more important than the other, but it's all given to us for our edification. There's wonderful truths. And the truth about living in faith comes right from this book of Habakkuk. So back to the Habakkuk text. After the Lord answers, Habakkuk has the opportunity to think through the issues. By chapter three, Habakkuk has resolved his frustration that God is idly standing by and not dealing with the unrighteousness of Judah and the Babylonians. Instead of being frustrated, Habakkuk recognizes that the supreme ruler of the universe has a plan and that his duty is to have faith in his God and be patient for a just God to act according to his perfect timetable. Habakkuk accepts the plan of the Lord, in this case for Babylon to capture Judah, and rejoices in the Lord and takes joy in the God of his salvation, the source of his strength. Wow. And it takes a while for us to get there. Some of us, we never get there on some things that happen to us in life. Reading from chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's going to happen, Lord. I got it. But please be merciful. Verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet 
I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, speaking of the terrible things that are about to happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Eyes off the physical, thinking about God. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord of my strength, he makes my feet like a deer. He makes me tread on my high places. Slide. Notice, even though Habakkuk has gained mental and spiritual victory, he still dreads the impending judgment of Judah by Babylon. Verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. But Habakkuk has accepted the sovereign plan of God and God's perfect timing. He will quietly wait. He knows it's coming. There may be difficult times, verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, Yet Habakkuk will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of his salvation. For in the end, God will affect his holy purpose and save the righteous who believe in him and live by faith. So it is with our own personal lives as well. In God's plan, there may be troubling times in our lives, but we should rejoice in the God of our salvation. We may be troubled, but God still sent his son. And if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have an eternal destiny. And that destiny is heaven. Wonderful things to think about. We often think of our immediate circumstances when we step back and really think of what the Lord has done for us. It changes our perspective, doesn't it? When we think of all eternity, the life we're living in or the trouble we're going through right now, is just a speck on that infinite timeline. But it's hard for us to get that perspective. Slide. Given what we have learned in Habakkuk, now how then should we live? Well, first, we should live by faith. We can't figure out the world in which we live, and we can't clearly know, but we can clearly know who God is and his love for us. While we should never stop trying to grow in the knowledge of our Savior, Ultimately, we must recognize that we can't ever completely know and understand our infinite God and his purpose. We must live by faith, believe, though we do not fully understand. Abraham believed and left Haran without knowing exactly where he was going. When God asked him to sacrifice his only son, the, the son who was to be the father of a great nation, remember he was his only son, so Abraham uh, has a son, that's the only child he has, the promised child. And out of them is supposed to come a great nation. And the Lord says, sacrifice him. Well, Abraham's going, hmm? But Abraham believed, but when God asked him to sacrifice his only son, uh, he did not understand, but he believed that God could work it out. And that text is in Hebrews, because he believed that he could raise him from the dead, if necessary. Those that know God live by his eternal truths. They depend, they trust him. They live not by what they see, but rather what they cannot see. 
God's character, his love, his promises. That is living by faith. Second, faith in God's means not to worry. Hard, but yes, that's what scripture teaches. Ultimately, we try to understand as best we can, but we ultimately don't need to understand everything. We just need to rest in who God is. Now, mind you, I'm saying it, it's easy. I struggle with the same issues myself every day. Quickly, my earthly concerns become big issues in my life. But that is the truth of God's word. Too often, we're, we're very busy trying to help God make it happen. Yes? <laughs> uh, do you really think that if we don't take the right action, we're going to thwart God's plans? I don't think so, and we all know that. Yet, don't we quickly become go there? Well, if I try a little harder, I can make this. And sometimes we just need to stop and sit back and say, God, I don't get it. It's yours. Take this thing. Take this thing. In Luke 24, there's a little passage there that talks about if God cares about food for the birds and he loves us so much more, won't he take care of us? Yes. Slide. Third, as we learn about God's love for us, we respond in love to him. When we love, we believe and trust the loved party. Our trust in God Almighty will not be disappointed. He is eminently trustworthy. He loved us so much, he sent his only son to die for us. The Apostle John in his epistle writes that love casts out fear, fear, worry, all those kind of things. Try a little more love for Jesus and he'll diffuse your concerns. God didn't just save us. He has a plan for our lives. Fourth point. So what about bad government? Do its failed wicked policies excuse us from supporting government? Paul and Peter make the Christian's obligation really quite clear. We do not support wicked policies, but short of being asked to directly violate a tenet of our faith, recall Peter's words, we must serve God rather than man. We must support government by obedience, prayer, and paying taxes. Remember these words were penned in the time of the Caesars. Consider Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in, in Babylon, and then Medo-Persian empires and the disciples during the time of Caesar, including Nero. They served God in heathen purposes, Joseph and Daniel, in very high places. Slide. Okay, let's put it all together. Evil people and evil countries abound. They have, and there'll be more in the future. There are today, and dealing with this issue, our thinking should begin with foundational truths or things that we should know. First, God has a plan for the ages. He's actively involved in working out that plan. Know that God's plan includes establishing and using nations as he wishes. God's plan may involve ungodly nations like Babylon, perhaps ISIS. Always remember who can know the mind of the Lord. We are finite beings. God is an infinite, sovereign God. Always work to understand him better, but remember your proper, humble place. Give it to him. You'll never be God. And rest assured, all wickedness will be judged. In order for God to be consistent with his holy character, he must judge sin. He knows all things. 
He will judge all wickedness, wickedness in due time without exception. Finally, at God's perfect appointed time, things will happen. Knowing these foundational truths, how should we live? Live by faith. We're quick to look around, to react to our environment. Always remember to keep your spiritual eyes on Jesus instead of your environment. Don't worry, be patient. And remember God's words, be still and know that I am God. Remember God loves us, cares for us. His plan includes an individual plan for each Christian. With respect to government, unless government orders something in direct violation to a biblical principle, obey, pay, pray, and pay your taxes. Let's pray.